Good evening. Tonight, we're going to be continuing our lesson, building off of a question that we ended a lesson with a couple weeks ago, which is, what will you do with God's Word in 2024? And that lesson particularly was about King Josiah, along with his predecessors, Ammon and Manasseh, and specifically about how Josiah responded when he like, received the law. The law had been lost, and then it came back, and as a result, that prompted a huge revival, both in Josiah's own life and the lives of all of the people. We're going to answer that question tonight of what will you do with God's Word in 2024 with our first of a, a series of lessons, and the first one will be uh, meditating, the not-so-secret secret to spiritual growth. To briefly comment on Josiah, right? Do you remember how he reacted when he received the law? Like what it was specifically that he did? He tears his clothes. It was very dramatic. Like the law comes out, they probably blow some dust off of it. They read it, Josiah gets it, and he is distraught. He tears his clothes, he weeps. And the reason that he does that is because he recognizes there's this huge gap between how he and the people have historically been living and what God's standard is. He says, I haven't been living this way, at least not fully. The people certainly haven't been living this way. My ancestors haven't been living this way. And so as a result, like, there has to be drastic change. He helps them re-enter into that covenant and to pick up on this thought, like, just a question for you. How many times do you think Josiah would have read the law? So the first time it comes to him, Hilkiah, the priest, reads it to him. And do you think that after he heard it once, he was like, okay, I got the gist. And maybe he treats it like how I would treat putting together a swing set for Ellis which is like, okay, yeah, I understand the basics of what this says. Ladder goes over here, stairs go over here, and, uh, you know, I've got some leftover bolts, but, like, it's going to be okay, right? <laughs> probably the exact opposite. He probably takes the Michael Lindsay approach to building swing sets, which is like, I'm going to go through very carefully and read every single one of these, and then maybe even put some safeguards in just to make sure that it's extra airtight. Right? Like, we know that that's how Josiah would have read this because for the next 13 years, he is very careful to obey all of the commands of the law. So, like, very practically speaking, do you think that he would have read it, like, a single time or multiple times? Or maybe he institutes some sort of cadence where it's like, okay, hey, I want to have this read to me once a month. He reads it to all the people, but he says, okay, maybe we're going to read from it once a week or maybe once a day. Beyond just reading it, how often do you think it would have been in his mind? He is leading this cultural revolution and transformation that is removing like deeply seated idolatry in the hearts of people. So he would have had to make decisions all the time about 
okay, well, what do we do here, and how does that actually reflect with the new law that I understand? Like, what does God want from me in this situation? How does this next decision that I'm about to make reflect on God, what it says about God? He probably is thinking about it on a daily, if not hourly, or minute-by-minute basis. And that makes sense. Because in order for him to do what we read that he does of nailing the next 13 years of his kingship, he would have had to be in constant reflection and study and reading of the Word of God, also known as meditating. And the Bible talks about meditating, specifically on the law, a lot. If you turn with me, we'll go through several verses here, just rapid fire to get a sense of what some of the Old Testament talks about. This section in Joshua is direct instruction to Joshua from God. Uh, Moses is now dead. Joshua is the new leader. Starting in verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. The book, this book of the law, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." That concept of if you are very intentional and very careful to follow God's law, you will lead to good success is exactly what the first psalm is about. Turn to Psalm 1. Psalm 1 outlines this contrast between those who are careful to follow God's word and to think about it and those who aren't. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And as a direct result of that, of meditating on God's law day and night, there's some immediate results. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So if you are careful to meditate on God's word, if you're careful to not walk in the way of the wicked, that's going to impact how you live your life and there's going to be direct results that come from that. Eventually, if you continue walking in this way, you get to be at a spot where you can talk like David did in Psalm 63, where you can say things about God and about uh, that relationship that you have with him that sound a little something like this. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. David says, I think about God so much that I'm meditating in the watches of the night, all throughout the night. That's what I'm thinking about. And that relationship satisfies me so much that it's like being satisfied with rich and fat food. Just a couple more of these to really drive home this point. Psalm 77, verses 11 and 12. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. And then Psalm 119 that Trenton read for us. You could really spend all of Psalm 119 understanding this concept of meditating on God's law and God's word. That's the crux of what that one's about. And it's 170 verses full. Verses 10 and 11. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So clearly the Old Testament has a lot to say about meditating on God's Word and the benefits of it. That that will lead to a spot where you can meditate on God and get to a spot where you're so satisfied with Him that it's like eating your favorite meal. That you can spend time meditating on God's Word and as a result of that, you're going to be planted so firmly and rooted in truth and stability and peace that you're like a tree with deep roots. That you can store up His Word in your heart so much so that it will help you to not sin against God. That's all through the Old Testament. These are just a handful of verses. And the New Testament talks about it similarly, but it sounds a little bit different. The New Testament doesn't really use language like when I meditate on you in all the watches of the night. Instead, it sounds a little bit more like Philippians. See if you can get a sense that what Paul is talking about is similar to what we just read with meditating. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What do you think is more honorable or lovely or just or excellent than God and his word and his things? And then the last point is Romans 12, 2 that talks about not being conformed to the world, but by being transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can understand God's will. Or in other words, if you renew your mind, if you meditate on these new things, if you meditate on the things of God, it's going to help you transform your life. Okay, so I just shoved like nine verses at you guys. 
in seven minutes. Thanks for hanging in there. At least for me, if I'm honest, when I read verses like this, it it brings up the question of, do I do that? Do I at least do that to this level? And I'm afraid the answer is likely no. Not that consistently, not that passionately. So if we can look at all these verses and understand that we're supposed to meditate on God's Word, and that clearly there's some benefits attached to it, why don't we always do it? I think the first element to this is just a component of distraction. I don't know that there's anybody in here who would willingly say, when I woke up this morning, I just thought the last thing I want to do is be in God's Word. Like, that's probably not coming out of anybody's mouths, right? None of us are saying, like, well, I just don't really think it's worth it, or I don't know that there will be the impact in my life, or I don't really think that that's what God wants me to do. But that's exactly what we're saying if we don't do it. We might not say that it's not that important, but our actions speak louder than our words, and whatever we fill our time with is what we fill our hearts with. Now, distraction, the reality of distraction, and like the reality of how we're supposed to think about God does not mean that every waking second we need to have our nose in the book and our hands in prayer. Like, that is unattainable, it's impractical, and that's really not what even pray without ceasing even means. But it's about establishing a baseline that says, like, what is the primary homepage for your heart? Are you distracted enough that you don't come back to this homepage, or maybe your homepage for your life isn't even God's word. And so when you recenter, maybe you recenter and you think about other things that aren't meditating and chewing on God's word. I saw this video, I don't know if you guys have seen it on social media. Um, it's called, What If Bibles Were Phones? And it's this video that starts off, I was not confident enough in my technology skills to try and actually play it. Probably should have. It'll be better than this reenactment. But it starts with a guy who's asleep, and the alarm goes off, and he reaches over, and he grabs what you expect to be a phone, except it's his Bible, and he turns and he puts it right in front of his face, and he's just laying there, right? And then you see him, and he's like flipping through the pages like this, and you're like, okay, maybe I see where this is going. And then he's standing in his bathroom, right? And he's brushing his teeth, but he's reading his Bible, and then he's eating his breakfast, and he's got his Bible, and he's doing this, and he's on his way to work in the car, and he's at a red light, and he sits there at a red light, and then he turns and he grabs his Bible, and he's in a conversation with somebody, but he kind of can't stop, like, checking his phone, except it's his Bible. Naturally, your Bible isn't going to buzz at you to get your attention, but do you look at it as much as you look at your phone? Are you consumed with God's word enough and the contents in his book as much as you are consumed with the content of other things in your life that distract you and pull you away from that? When you're in a quiet moment and you reach for some, something to fill the boredom, 
is it God's word or is it I need to be entertained and I need to be distracted and I need to escape? So I think it, it, to a certain extent, like why don't we chew on the deeper things is because it's easy to be distracted and our source for maybe what we turn to in those distractions is different. There's another component of this though of like maybe why we don't meditate on God's word the way we need to that um, stems from a lack of understanding of what meditating is supposed to be and who it's for. If I were to ask with a show of hands, who in this room has been working on a memory verse, who do you think would be most likely to raise their hands in this room? I think it's all of the kids, right? They would say, oh, I've been working on that. I know I'm supposed to be doing that. Like, I'm happy to read it for you. And we've done a really good job of understanding that memory verses are important for children, right? Like, kids should know Genesis 1-1, that God made the world. And kids should know that John 3-16, God loved that world enough to send Jesus. But if we reduce our understanding of memorization or internalization of Scripture into something that's just for kids, or maybe we fundamentally think that, like, oh, well, memorization is just that. It's just rote memorization, and I want to actually get deeper in my spirituality rather than just being able to close my eyes and say Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Like, I want to be able to know the deeper things, and so I, I don't spend time memorizing because I want to get to know God and have a relationship with God, and I don't just want to have, like, some understanding of all the, the rules or the answers on the test. But that's not what biblical meditation is. It's not just, hey, you have to know the answers to the test, or you have to know all the facts and figures, or you have to have the book of Third John committed to memory. We have to be able to understand who God is and his character and his attributes and fall in love with him, and then that's going to unlock this virtuous cycle of us wanting to spend more time with it. So if we, if we don't really understand the purpose right, for like why we would need to spend time memorizing his word, or we don't really understand who's supposed to be doing it, it can lead to a gap. And then finally, I think there's a component of this where it's an acquired taste, or maybe a different angle on that, is like it's a muscle that you have to build. Most of us at this point are not just going to wake up one day and say like, okay, it is January 28th, time for me to carve out a new piece of scripture that I'm now going to commit to memory and I'm going to commit to like really deeply understanding what this means and I'm going to talk about it with other people and this is going to be the sole thing I focus on this week and okay, like most of us have probably started and stopped more daily Bible reading plans than we care to ever admit because we're not really sure what it's supposed to be like, or we get more like inundated with, I need to stay on schedule, and I need to, that we miss some of these richer components of what David talks about, like, my soul is satisfied with you as with rich and fat food. It might not have always tasted that way to David. He had to stop and consider it. I think an example of this 
the class that we've been doing in the back on Psalms. We talked about Psalm 23 this morning, and Josh Shell did a great job leading that discussion. But Psalm 23 is six verses, and if you just read Psalm 23, you'd be like, okay, I get it. God is my shepherd, and he keeps me safe, and even in a table surrounding enemies, like I've got a lot of oil. Psalm 23. But what happened in real time in our class today is as we spent more time just studying and looking at it and chewing on it and meditating on it is that then people started commenting and saying, oh, actually, Psalm 23 reminds me of Ezekiel 34. And here's how God is the shepherd of his people like the the shepherds of Israel weren't supposed to be. And then that's actually like over here in John 10, how Jesus is the good shepherd. And this is connected in this way. And what do you think about this point? And it led to a beautiful discussion. But that doesn't happen if you just read it once. And you say, oh, okay, I know what this is about. Like those richer flavors, if you'll allow that analogy to continue, might not be immediately discernible, especially to a palate that hasn't been refined for it. Okay, so if meditating is so important, as we've looked at, and sometimes whether it's because we're distracted or because we maybe misunderstand like how we're supposed to do it or who, we're spo- who is supposed to do it, um, or maybe even like how do we really do it properly, what are two practical passages that we can look at that help us like sink our teeth into this and get better at it? Turn with me to Deuteronomy Chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're in a section where God is delivering the statutes and the rules and his law to the people. Starting in verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So God is delivering this law to the people, and he sets the bar really high. He says, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might, so much so that these words need to be on your heart. You're like, okay, well, that is a pretty high burden of proof. That's a pretty high standard. If I need to love God that much, how do I practically make that happen? Or where do I start? I think this passage gives us a few direct pointers that we can rip off. One is you shall teach them diligently to your children. 
So if you want to get better at meditating on God's word, if you want to look for a place to start, teach a child. And if you don't have a child, good news is we have like 50 children here that would love to volunteer to be taught. And their parents would love nothing more than if you said, I want to teach scripture to your children. So everyone here can find one passage or one thing about God or one aspect of Scripture that a child needs to know or doesn't know or that you just love and you want to personally share. And then you can go take this and share it with a child. You can say, Bentley, I want to talk to you about God and how He is holy, and I'm going to explain to you what that means later, and I really will do that, so like, ask me about that later. Um, Everyone here can do that. But what else? You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. So when you go home, talk about Scripture. Talk about it with your spouse. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with anyone who's in your home. Talk about it with your own kids. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. So all throughout the day, if you are looking for something to talk about, Talk about God's word with other people, with anybody you meet. And then verses 8 and 9, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they'll be frontlets between your eyes and write them on the doorposts of your house and your gate. I'm going to leave that as like relatively optional. If you want to graffiti your house and your gate, you can do that. I think that's awesome. But put reminders in your house. Put reminders in your car. Put reminders on your phone, in your computer. Like everywhere that your eyes, you know they're going to be, put them there as reminders. Just a few chapters later in Deuteronomy, we get another very practical passage. We talked about Josiah at the start of this lesson. How many times do you think he read the law? Well, in reading the law, he would have come across this section. And this section is addressed to the kings of Israel. Starting in verse 18 of chapter 17. And when he, talking about the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. So what Josiah would have realized when hearing the law is that the kings were supposed to literally take and write a copy of the law and then they're supposed to carry it with them everywhere and he's supposed to read it every day of his life. So assuming that he lived for another 13 years um, until he stopped reigning, if he read that 365 days for 13 years, that's like 4,475 days. So maybe he read it that many times, maybe more. But if you're looking for a better way to meditate on God's word, take a lesson from the ancient Israelite kings and write yourself a copy of Scripture. Now, you don't have to copy Deuteronomy. 
The New Testament law is super different. Maybe you say, hey, I want to get credit for writing an entire book, but I want it to be the shortest one, and so I want to write Jude or Titus, right? Check one off. Like, maybe you just want to write a copy of the Sermon on the Mount, and then you want to be careful to do it and take it with you and share it with other people and reference back to it and say, how am I supposed to live today? Oh, okay, this is the section that this is where I wrote this down, and word by word, this is exactly what God wants from me. If we want to practically find places where we can start meditating and getting these deeper thoughts about God, I think these are two extremely applicable passages. So we can teach them to children, we can talk about them with the people in our lives and in our homes, and we can practice putting Scripture into our hearts and our minds and before our eyes by like literally doing what they did, which is like copying it. When you do that, it's going to change you. So what are you going to do with God's word in 2024 in your life? Hopefully you're going to meditate. And when you do, what's going to happen? The first thing, wow, that's tiny font. The first thing is that your perspective is going to shift to see things the way that God does. So when you start spending time listening to him and thinking the way he thinks and writing these things down and talking about them to other people, you're going to start seeing your sin the way he sees your sin. And you're going to start seeing lost people the way that he sees lost people. You're going to start seeing his love for you like it actually is. So your perspective will shift to see things the way that God does. (laughs) Just like what Barry was talking about this morning, where once you're then in a trial, you'll see it as a trial and you'll see it as an opportunity for your faith to be tested. Like, you're only going to be able to see through that lens when you've downloaded that software update for your life by spending time in the Word and meditating on it. Next is you will talk about God and His Word more. And maybe that seems overly simplistic, but it is true. So one of my best friends, Jesse Roy, um, he knows Ecclesiastes really well because he's read it a bunch and he's taught it to some high school kids a couple times. And so he talks ecclesiastically and it's weird. He's like, oh, there's a time for this and there's a time for that. And like it's in his vernacular and he knows Proverbs really well. And so sometimes you'll be in a conversation with him and he'll start talking about how you shouldn't like boil a young baby goat in its mother's milk. And you're like, what is that, Jesse? What are you talking about? And you're like, oh, well, that's actually like this obscure proverb. And you're like, what? So I need to meditate more on that one and what that means. And if any of you know, I'd love to understand what that one actually means. But when you think about God all the time and you're in his word all the time, you will talk about it. It becomes part of your vocabulary. And it's contagious. And that's encouraging to each other. That's why you're supposed to talk about it on the way and when you get up and in your house. As a result of spending more time meditating, you will talk about God and his word more. And you will be more impressed with God. If you feel like, I can't really get my arms around who God is or what he's done for me, the more time and effort and intention that you speak and that you internalize his word, you will be more impressed with his character. 
We have so many beautiful stories of God and His heart and His goodness with themes that eventually, like you get to a point where I was seeing like God's redemptive theme through Moana a couple weeks ago. But you get to a spot where you're so impressed with God, you're like, that is the most beautiful, important, eternal thing that I could ever care about and ever be impressed with, and everything else starts to lose its luster. And finally, you're going to face temptation differently this year. When you meditate on God's Word, you have the equipment to deal with Satan. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness three times, his answer to Satan every time was Scripture. If you have Scripture constantly before your face and before your heart, when you're in that same spot, guess how you get to respond? In the same way. It's like having the answers to the test before you're on the test. But sometimes, if you're like me, we don't always look at the study guide. So if you meditate on God's Word in 2024, your perspective will shift. You will talk about God more. You'll be more impressed with Him, and you will handle temptation differently. But if you say, hey, Drew, I know that's great, and I know we're supposed to meditate, but man, like, you really wouldn't believe how many Bible reading plans that I've started, and then I have fallen off the cliff, or where am I going to find the time, or where am I going to find the consistency? Remember that God has promised to help you do this. Our last passage will be Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31, God is talking about this new covenant that's coming, the new covenant that we get to be a part of. Starting in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. God wants you to meditate on Him and His Word. That's why there's a billion passages about it. He wants to put it on your heart, and He wants to help you do it. So you can, is the good news. 
And when you do, He will be your God and we can be His people. So what are we going to do with God's Word in 2024? I hope that all of us will choose to meditate on His Word. To know it more deeply than we have before. To teach it to children. To talk about it in the workplace and in our homes. To write it out physically, but to write it out even more so on our hearts. Because when we do, it's going to help transform us and lead to a similar type of covenant revival, just like Josiah and the people had, but today here with us in this group in 2024. Let's stand and sing.